Dear God, as we um, continue on in our series this morning, I ask God that you would uh, help us this morning to understand uh, some of those complicated matters of our lives uh, when, when there's difficulty and when there's hurt. And I pray, Lord, that you would just use this morning to help us to understand how to approach you and how we can trust you in those moments when we feel like we're in way over our head. And I just thank you for what you will do here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I remember in, when I was in Bible college, uh, one of the things that someone offered me to do was to go tree planting. And they said, you know, if you go tree planting, you're going to be able to make a lot of money and you'll be able to pay for all your college debts. And I was like, I'm all in. Like if, uh, if anybody here has ever run up that kind of debt, you know, one of the things you want to do is basically any job you can in order to pay that off as quickly as possible. And so I got this job, and we went to uh, uh, Prince George, B.C., and then from there we went to, uh, you know, Houston, B.C., and it was a beautiful place. I'd never been in this place before, and, and my foreman, he took me and a few other rookies, and we went out what they call a lot, and he showed us, you know, where we're going to be planting, and he gave us this little tutorial, and then he put his, uh, you know, the bag on, and he filled his bag with the trees, and he had his shovel and all this stuff, and I'm just standing there watching, going like, this is easy, I have my bag on, it's empty, and I'm like, this is this piece of cake, you know, and he starts pounding in trees, and like 10, 20, 30 trees, he just, you know, this is how you do it, and he's showing us how to get the spacing right, he's showing us how to make sure that the trees are straight, and, and all these different things, and it didn't take long, you know, most of us guys were pretty impatient, it didn't take me very long, and my attitude was, okay, thank you very much, now let me go do this already, because I want to make some money, watching you plant doesn't make me any money, and so he, you know, he's going and he's showing us all these different things. And, and so after a little while, it was like, okay, I got this. And I think it was about an hour that he was training us because he's extremely thorough and he's talking about J-Root and he's telling us all the things that would happen if we get our spacing wrong and all the stuff. And, and you know how it is. You blank all that out after a while. You're like, just let me loose already. I want to go make some coin. And so then after an hour of that, he took us in back of the truck and he drove us to different parts of the lot, and he's like, okay, you're going to start planting, and I'll come by and check on you from time to time. And, and I remember he, you know, he dropped me off in my spot, and he's like, you're going to head towards there, and you're going to, this is your space. You're just going to go back and forth and cover this and, and plant as many trees as you can, and I'll come back in you know, a few hours and check to see how you're doing. And so he drove off, and you got to understand, this is, you know, this is B.C. This is huge open wilderness, and, and so he's driving away, and it didn't take long. I couldn't even see where he was because, you know, it's a hilly and all that stuff. And so now I have my bag down. I put 360 trees because that's how many were in a box. And I put these little seedlings into, my, into the bag, and I throw this thing over me, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, this is a little heavier now than when it was empty. And then I got my shovel out. And I pounded the first tree in, and it's like the bending over, like, whoa, man, after a few minutes, my legs are burning, and I'm going, and I'm like, okay, and I count, and that's only like eight trees, and my legs are already on fire, and I'm thinking to myself, whoa, that guy did it like that, it looks so easy, so I'm like, okay, I got to do this, I got to do this, and away I went, you know, and after about 10, 15 minutes, I had to take the bags off, because my legs were on fire, I just simply like, what am I doing here? And I remember thinking at that moment, like, what am I doing here? You know, like, this is so different than what I, because all I heard when I heard tree planting is money. I didn't know about the pain, you know. A few years ago, actually a number of years ago, Marie and I, we sat down and we're like, we're going to redo our kitchen. 
And it was so oh, exciting. We're going to redo our kitchen and, and everything new, and you know, new, new appliances and new cabinets and new floor and new everything. And, and anybody that's ever you know, done any renovations in the house, you know that there's this one stage that you have to get through to get to all the newness, right? And that's called demolition. Anybody been there? That's a misery, misery, misery of all miseries, you know. And I, I, we have a picture of me actually just standing there. It's the first day of demolition, and I'm standing there about knee-deep in insulation that we did not know was in the ceiling, this powdered stuff, and it just fell down, and I'm about knee-deep in insulation just standing there looking at this thing, thinking, why are we doing this? What were we thinking? Why in the world are we, you know, why are we doing this? Um, one more little quick story is when we were, you know, married, and we started talking about raising a family, and then one day Maria tells me, like, guess what? I'm pregnant, you know, and we're like, woo, and so excited. And then we had the baby. It was long labor. It was tough for me. My goodness, it never ended. It was hard, 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 you know, and Maria just didn't seem to get that kid out, you know, and so finally I, I can go to sleep because it was done. And so we bring little Simon home, and um, here we are, you know, brand new parents, and and so we have our little bassinet, I think that's what it's called, we call it a bed now, a uh, little bassinet where he's sleeping. Is that what it's called? No? Anyway, okay, perfect. My wife's not here to correct me. Um, and so we have this little thing, and he's lying in there, and, you know, and he, you know, we put him to sleep, and now it's like, oh, here we are, the new parents, first night, first day, you know, he's home. We lie down, and about five minutes later, he starts fussing. And so we pick him up, and oh, it must not have fed enough. And so Maria feeds him, and we put him back, you know, Ten minutes later, he's fussing again. It's like, well, maybe he's not eating very well. So try again, you know, because everything is new. Everything is new. And then he stopped, you know, fell asleep, and we put him back in. And now it's 11 o'clock, and he's fussing again. And it's like, what in the world? And I kid you not, I said these words. <laughs> First day home with this little guy, I said to Maria, I cannot wait for the empty nest. <laughs> That's a quote. Now, I have to admit, I've matured a lot since then, and uh, Simon has finally stopped crying at nighttime. <laughs> but I think every single one of us in this room would have a story of some sort that they could share this morning of moments in your life when you felt like you were in over your head. Every single one of us has had a moment in our lives where it's like, you know, I thought this was what was going to happen, and now it's this. I, I was hoping to start my own business, and now this is happening, and I didn't know that this was going to be part of it. I was hoping to get that promotion, and it looked so good when I was thinking of getting that promotion, and now, oh my goodness. Or I was hoping to, you know, be in a relationship and get married, and everything looks so great when I watch other couples be married, and now suddenly it's like, what have we got ourselves into? We're fighting all the time. We were hoping to have kids. We were hoping to do this. All there's a man we could go many 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 directions of the places in our lives where sometimes we end up and all of a sudden without wanting to and without anything negative really happening we are just in over our heads so we want to talk this morning about what do we do in those moments when we are in overhead, those pivotal moments when you just come to realize, like, I am way over my head in this one. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Now, I want to read you guys a story. Um, I, I have to be honest with you. I had a hard time validating whether or not this is a true story. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to tell it to you as a parable, okay? 
And a parable is a story that teaches a lesson. And because I cannot tell you for sure if this is true, um, a lot of people use it as a true story, but there's a lot of questions around whether or not this actually happened. Anyway, woo, made way too much of a deal of that. So here it is, just so that you understand. I'm telling this now as a parable. Okay. A missionary on furlough told this story. Okay, this is him telling the story while visiting his home church in Michigan. While, this is him now talking. While serving at a small field hospital in Africa, every two weeks I traveled by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. This was a journey of two days and required camping overnight at the halfway point. On one of these journeys, I tr- arrived in the city where I planned to collect money for, from the bank, purchase medicine and supplies, and then begin my two-day bicycle journey back to the field hospital. Upon arriving in the city, I observed two men fighting, one of whom had been seriously injured. I treated him with his injuries, for his injuries and at the same time talked to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. I then traveled two days, camping overnight, and arrived home without incident. Two weeks later, I repeated my journey. Upon arriving at the city, I was approached by the young man I had treated. He told me that he had known I, would, I had carried money and medicine, and that he and some of his friends and I followed you into the jungle, knowing you would camp overnight. We planned to kill you and take your money and the drugs. But at, just as we were about to move into your camp, we saw that you were surrounded by 26 armed guards. At this, I laughed and said that I was certainly all alone out in the jungle campsite. But the young man pressed the point, however, and said, No, sir, I was not the only person to see the guards. My five friends also saw them, and we all counted them. It was because of those guards that we were afraid and left you alone. At this point in the sermon, one of the men in the congregation jumped to his feet and interrupted the missionary and asked if he could tell him the exact day that this had happened. The missionary told the congregation the date, and the man who interrupted told him this story. He says, On the night of your incident in Africa, it was morning here, and I was preparing to play golf. I was about to putt when I felt the urge to pray for you. In fact, the urging of the Lord was so strong, I called men in this church to meet with me here in the sanctuary to pray with you. And then he invited all the men who had come to stand up. The men who had met together... To pray stood up. The missionary wasn't as concerned about who they were. Instead, he was busy counting them, and you guessed it, there were 26 men. Now, the reason I share that story or that parable is this, to simply make a point. I wonder how often we are in over our heads and we do not even realize it. I wonder how often God provides for us in our moments in our life, And we are unaware that he is even doing so. I think the truth is that we are technically always in over our heads. And we need to start there, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. Because without him, without God, we really truly can do nothing. He is faithful to give us our daily bread. He is faithful to sustain us. He is the one who provides every single thing that we need. And without him, we would literally be able to do nothing. And I think stories like that or parables like that help us to be reminded that that maybe in our day, maybe in our day-to-day things, often God is providing for us and God is giving us things that we just assume to be natural. We just, oh yeah, I have, I have breath to breathe. I have a beating heart. 
I have, you know, the provisions that I need. I had safety driving here today. All of these different things. And I wonder sometimes if, if our eyes were open to what is all happening behind the scenes to see how God is providing for us, we would probably all be here in far greater humility realizing that all of us, at, at least right now in our lives, are in over our heads. In the book of Acts, chapter 12, Peter is thrown in prison by King Herod, and he will most likely be executed because that's what Herod had done to James, and he had huge success, and people were really excited that he did so, and so now he throws Peter in prison, and and we can only imagine the tension within the church, the overwhelming hopelessness. Here's the Apostle Peter, one of the people who is a pillar of the early church, who is, you know, gives a lot of direction, he's outspoken, and now King Herod has thrown him in prison. Verse 12, here's what the church does. So Peter was kept in prison. Chapter, Acts chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him, for God, to God for him. That night, King Herod, before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. The sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter and said to him, and woke him up, Get up, quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Now you may be wondering, why is the angel giving such specific instructions here? I think the reason he's giving this such specific instructions is because Peter is literally baffled. I don't know if any of you have ever woken your kids up at nighttime or your spouse up and it's like, put your next foot forward, you know, because they literally, uh, you know. And I think that's what's happening here with Peter. Peter is in an absolute daze and, and the angel's like, put your coat on. Okay, now wrap it around you. Come on. You know, because Peter is completely dazed. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guard and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of the street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the door entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed, ran back without opening it, and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Look at the faith they placed in their own prayer. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it, was, that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. And Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. And James, the James he's talking about here is James, the brother of Jesus. We don't know the details of what this church was praying. But I want you to think about something. Is it possible that they were praying for Peter to be sustained? That they were praying maybe for his release? 
But then when God actually did it, it's like they couldn't believe it. The reality is it's almost as if the God was showing off in this situation. He's, he's almost as if God was saying, you know, you're praying for protection, I'll give freedom. You're praying for perseverance, I'll give victory. And I think, again, this story is one of those beautiful stories in the, in the Bible that teaches us that sometimes even in our weaknesses, even in our lack of faith, or even in our our inability to understand what God could all do, that God is not hindered, that God is able to do far greater than what we thought he would do. I don't want to sound discouraging, but one of the best things that we can do, I believe, in our lives and in our prayer life is realize and accept the fact that we are in over our heads. Even though Peter had already seen God do miracles in his life, this one still blew him away. Even as he's being led away, it wasn't like he was like, oh yeah, I was waiting for this to happen. Of course it would have to happen only the day before because God's timing is always perfect. Even Peter in this moment was blown away by what God was doing and it finally dawned on him only as it was happening that this is what God was doing. One of the best things that we can do in terms of how we pray is to come to, the fa- to term with the fact that we are always in over our heads. Part of appreciating what God, who God is is we need to recognize who we are. Part of appreciating who God is, is is coming to terms and recognizing who we are. And one of the things that we have to admit about ourselves is that we are weak. We may not like that. We may not want to admit to that. But in order for us to pray in these moments when we are in over our heads, we need to recognize that we are weak and that we need to turn to God who is always strong. We need to understand our place. That we are beneath him. That he is sovereign and not us. And we're going to talk about why this is so important in a little bit. When we do not see ourselves for who we are, here's what happens. Pride takes hold. Pride takes hold. And it keeps us from praying as we should. Many of you, and I know myself, would definitely have to say yes to this, is that there's been moments when I realize I'm in over my head, and oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And the first thing I did wasn't necessarily call out to God and say, God, I'm weak, you're strong, I need you right now, could you come and help me? The first thing that I tend to do sometimes, and I'm sure I'm not alone in the room, is the first thing I think of is, how can I fix this? What could I do different? How should I change? What am I, you know, what do I need to do in order to get myself out of this? Because I have to get myself out of this. The thing, the idea very often for us is that I can fix this myself. I can get myself out of this on my own. And when that becomes a pride issue, we will struggle to turn to God in whatever moment we are in because we truly believe that we can do this on our own. I think most of us in this room have heard of C.S. Lewis, a very famous writer. When he first became a believer, he saw himself as better than other believers, and and mostly because he's extremely educated. And and so he wrote this little write-up about what his early Christian life was like. This is what he said. He says, when I first became a Christian, I thought that I could do it on my own. And I wouldn't go to the churches. I disliked very much their hymns which I considered to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. But as I went on, I saw the great merit of it. I came up against different people 
of quite different outlooks and different education. And then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, which were just sixth-rate music, were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize that you aren't fit to clean those boots. Here is C.S. Lewis having to admit that there is a need for other people, that you and you alone do not always have it all together. The Apostle Paul, very interesting story in the book of Acts chapter 12, or uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul, this very well-known apostle, this, this guy who's traveled, who's written most of the New Testament, he tells us that he has a thorn in his side. Look at what it says. He says, Or because of these super, surpassingly great revelations. In other words, God was doing such incredible things in his life. God was doing amazing things through the Apostle Paul. Look at what he says. Because of those things, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. It's almost as if God said, I will do amazing things in you, but I know, Paul, I know, Paul, that you will begin to think it's all about you and pride will set in. And even though it's me doing these things through you, you're going to suddenly begin to think that it's actually you doing it. And so God gives him this thorn in his side. Look at how God, we, well, we read that Paul begs God three times, prays three times for God to remove it. Look at God's response to Paul's prayers. Verse 9, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What is God saying here? It's almost as if God is saying, you know, the the way that I can show my strength to you the best is when you come to realize that you need me. Because when you refuse to accept that you need me, you will ignore what I would love to do for you. You will not accept what I would love to do for you. And then look at Paul's response to God. He says, therefore, because God's like, you're made perfect in weakness. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulty. For when I am weak, I am strong. We will rarely understand on this earth why we experience the things we experience. And I would be a fool to try to tell you that, you know, this is why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. The reality is when it comes to pain and suffering and, and those things of life, the reality is on this side of heaven, I don't know if we will ever truly understand why they happen. And I'm fairly in tune with what's going on in this congregation, and I know many, many, many of your stories. As you've come and talked to me and as you've shared about the things that are going on in your life and and the new things that you're experiencing and the old things that just seem to not go away, and I can only tell you on this side of heaven, we may never really understand why those things, why are we struggling with certain things? Why Why does our weakness persist? 
But what should happen is that it should cause us to be all the more determined to place our faith in God. Because here's what we need to understand today. When we are weak, He is strong. And I wonder sometimes if His strength is more evident in us when we are more aware of our need for Him. So if you're in this place today in your prayer, when you are finding yourself in those pivotal moments when you are in over your head, if your prayer does not recognize your brokenness, your weakness, I think that it will hinder us from really experiencing the strength that the Lord provides. Paul sees his weakness not as a hindrance, but as an opportunity to show God's power. I want to show you a little bit of a different response because there's another story in Acts chapter 19 when Paul is in Ephesus and, and God is doing amazing things there and this is the time when the people in, uh, in Ephesus receive the Holy Spirit and when that happens, extraordinary things happen. Look at this, Acts chapter 19 verse 11. For God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Check this out. So that even... Handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left him. Think about that for a moment. Here's a guy, when he would touch something, they would take the thing that he had touched, and they would go to people, and they would literally just take this thing that Paul had touched, and they would use it in whatever way, and people were healed as a result of that. That is an extraordinary use of God in Paul's life. The same Paul who had admitted that he was weak. But there's another group of people. And they're watching what Paul is doing and they're fascinated by it. And they're like, we're going to do the same thing. Verse 13, some of the Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. It seems like such a cool ministry to get into. Let's do, let's do exorcism. Let's drive out demons because, man, if we can do that, we will really make a name for ourselves. So they would say this, In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. The seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. <laughs> Look at this. Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now that would be funny if it weren't for the fact that evil won. Now what's the difference here? These guys assumed that just getting the right formula was all that was needed. So they plugged in the right words. They used the name of Jesus. They said the things that they should say maybe, but they lacked the humility. They did not have the ability or they did not allow themselves to see their weaknesses. They saw only themselves and they saw that they were going to make a name for themselves. They assumed their experiences or even their family position was enough. They were in way over the heads and didn't even recognize their own spiritual poverty. And so they started with the wrong assumption. They also failed to seek God on the issue. 
We don't see anywhere here that they even prayed. As a matter of fact, look at how they say it. In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. We don't get any sense from these guys that they had any kind of personal relationship with Jesus. So they had the wrong approach. They tried to use God to accomplish their own goal. Chuck Swindoll once said that the greatest sin in the church is our attempt to do God's will our way. Wrong method. When it failed, they gave up. Instead of repenting and admitting that they were in over their head, instead of repenting and running back to God and, and surrendering their life to Jesus, they ran out of the house, and from all we can tell, they never, ever came back. Wrong response. And that's what happens when we do not recognize our weaknesses and our need for God. We will try all the right things. We will start with assumptions. We will start with methods. We will, we will focus on different responses. We will focus on different approaches, and we will get them wrong every single time because what needs to, we, where we need to start from is recognizing that we are weak and that God is strong. So what's the difference? What's the key difference? I think we kind of already said it, but the, the key difference is this. That Paul acted out of his weakness. He didn't just simply recognize it. And I don't want you thinking this morning that all you got to do is now from here on say, well, I'm weak, I'm useless, I'm no good. Paul acted out of his weaknesses. He lived out of his weakness. He had nothing to prove. He had nothing to lose. He had nothing to hide. And when he, when he was in over his head, he boasted not in his own experience and his own strength, but he boasted in the strength that God had and that God has. And this is why Paul can say these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And we just sang these words this morning. It says that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now look at this. This is the confidence that this man has. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. When we come to those places in our lives, when we realize that we are in over our heads, we must re recognize that God, our Heavenly Father, is not. When we do not have the strength, He is still all-powerful. When we don't know where to turn, His path is still straight. When we don't know what to do, He is still all-knowing. When you feel alone, know that he is with you with thousands and thousands of angels. When you can't take another step, he will carry you. When your days are filled with darkness, remember he is the light of the world. When your heart is broken, he has sent you the comforter. When you are weak, he is still strong. And we could go on and on and on. Paul understood this. He understood this, and he lived it out. So I want to close this morning with a question. And this is an important question, and, I, and if you don't hear it quite right, don't react to it immediately because I need you to understand what I mean with this question. Here's the question. When is the last time that you have thanked God for your weaknesses? When is the last time that you have thanked God for being in over your head? When is the last time that we've come to that place in our lives where we're like, you know, God, thank you 
Thank you that it doesn't depend on me. I'll tell you a really quick story. Last evening, yesterday evening, uh, right after supper, I have no idea what happened. But I'm lying in bed, and I am feeling horrible. And I won't tell you about the other things I was doing, but I just was lying there, and I'm like, of course, it's Saturday evening, and I feel sick, and I hear the flus going around, and blah, blah, blah. And suddenly, this sermon preached to me. Ike, God knew when you wrote this thing a week ago, God knew what you would be like tomorrow morning. If you're too sick to preach... He's got something else planned. And I'll tell you the weight of that being lifted off me. Thank you, Jesus, that this is not on me. Thank you, Jesus, that building this church is not only on me. It is your church. And so I will do my part and I will be used by you. When is the last time that we as a church, that we as individuals have thanked God for our weaknesses? Think about your life for a moment. Think about the lessons you've learned. Think about the things that have made you strong. Think about the stories that you share. Isn't it true that we would have to admit that most of those things came from difficult moments? Think about the path that you've chosen. I I guarantee you that there are some of you here that are saying, I would have never thought I would go down this road. I would never thought that I would do this. And it was the most painful thing in the world. But my goodness, now I would not change it for anything. Think about your faith. When it was tested. And as a result of it being tested, you find yourself here today. And you find yourself stronger because your faith was challenged, because you were challenged. Why then do we so often not thank God for our weaknesses and for those moments when we are in over our head? Because in those moments, he can show us that he can do incredible things for us. So I'm not trying to sound morbid this morning. And I'm not making light of the weight that you carry. Like I said before, I'm aware of the stories in this room, and I know there are many that I don't know about, and I'm not trying to make light of your burden, but if we never thank God for being in over our heads, we will struggle to fully depend on him. If we never say, God, thank you for bringing me to this place in my life where I know that without you I could not do this, you and I would deliberately choose to no longer depend on him because we would truly think that we can do it on our own. Just because we are weak does not mean that we give up and that we give in. Rather, we take greater risk. We take greater risk because we know that God is the one leading us. So just because we're weak, it's like, oh, well, I guess we can't do this. God can do it. If what you're going through right now is his plan for your life, you will see it through. And he will walk you through whatever you are experiencing. He will accomplish his will for your life. Thanking God for our weaknesses takes the pressure off of us to make it our own. It removes the burden of having to please everyone and rather focuses only on pleasing God. Thanking God for our weaknesses results in us having a proper view of ourselves and of him which gives us the humility we need to see God for who he truly is. 
thanking God for our weaknesses means that we will always turn to Him first rather than first trying to do it on our own. And I think every one of us in this room would have to admit, man, if I would have just first gone to Him, I would have saved myself so much misery. Thanking God for our weaknesses brings life into perspective. That we are dependent on Him. So the next time you feel that you are in over your head, know that He is present with you. And He is not in over His head. So we don't need to be slaves to this fear that says, oh, I can't make it, I can't make it. Because as a child of God, we have the almighty, powerful God on our side. So instead of living in fear, let's accept and embrace our identity in Him, that we are His children. And as His children, we will and can accomplish His will for our lives. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every single one of us here this morning as we go from here we would just supernaturally recognize today your presence with us and your almighty power in our lives. The fear that we may have about the future, the fear that we may have about getting through this right now, that that would just be removed and that we would just see ourselves as your children, as child, children of God you walk with us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.